Hey, hello everyone, Sean Simons, PPG Grandpa. Welcome to the show. You're listening to this on paratalk.org. If you do not want to listen to this and you want to see this live every Monday night, come over to clearproptv.com and watch our show. It will be streaming live to a YouTube channel, clearproptv.com. We'll forward to whatever channel we're going to be streaming live to. If uh, you want to be on here, just send us a message at ppggrandpa at gmail.com and let us know that you would like to be um, interviewed. Matter of fact, today we are talking to Brady Smith. He lives in Arizona, been flying since April of 2017, and this is going to be all about his prop strike. Yes, he had a prop strike. It was absolutely awful, and it's so bad that we're not even showing what it looked like. We're just showing the stitches, and it's not good. And, of course, our panel, we have Brian, Brian Waller. He was our guest last week. He is now part of the show. We have Kevin Canfly from kevincanfly.com. Shane, better known as Never Trust a Skinny Chef. Shane, Linda Anderson, JP, and, of course, myself. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into this real quick. And thank you very much again for listening. Have a great evening. We are going to start the show on ClearProp TV. I love that name. You know, Kevin Kevin came up with ClearProp TV. He's How did he come up with that name? I don't know. It was one of his many... Um, many uh, names that he came up with. Yeah, I like it. I just, I just started shooting off every idea I could honestly think of and just let you guys decide. And I think collectively, that's just where we landed. Uh, where we landed. Uh, <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> uh. All right, guys. Welcome, everyone. My name is Sean Simons, PPG <clears throat> Welcome to Clear Prop TV, where you get to see uh, the live stream. We also have the audio streaming live to paratalk.org. So if you don't want to see our ugly mugs, just go over there and listen to us live. Well, who do we have here today? Today, we, our guest is Brady Smith. And we can hear uh, Shane smoking in the background. That's never mm -hmm. Skinny Chef Shane. We have <laughs> Linda Anderson. Kevin can fly, JP Tulo, and uh, who else do we have? Who else do we have? Tommy's in the, in the chat. Brian Walker, he's in the chat. Linda Anderson, our lovely Linda Anderson. Who else do we have in here? Everybody else? I said everybody's name. We got a big, uh, big amount of people. Uh, big people. We got big people here today. <laughs> we got a large group today, and I still hear something in the background. A large panel you got there, Sean. Panel. Yeah. Still hear something in the background. Who's making noise? Not me. Shane, well, Shane's, Shane's uh, muted, so we can't hear him like, breathe anymore. So it's like know. a bird or something. An echo. Well, I'm, I'm using a new device. Let me uh, mute it just to make sure it's not me. All right. And then everything goes quiet. Okay. <laughs> nope. I'm still here. Maybe it's maybe it's Tommy. Let me mute Tommy. Ah, maybe it was Tommy. 
Uh, okay. Well, uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Um, we are now streaming live. We appreciate you coming and checking us out here at ClearProp TV. We have a very interesting guest, Brady Smith. He uh, was... Let's go ahead and talk about your prop strike first. Even though he has a, uh, a huge repertoire of really interesting things, including uh, ripping his wing that he has uh, fixed. He also went to the Flying Circus, Hot Air Balloons, even has a birthday flying coming up. But the biggest thing that we want to talk about right now is this prop strike. Now, JP, he can, uh, he can um, put up the after effects with the stitches so if you're watching this live right now, you might want to cover your eyes if, if stitches uh, bother you. But uh, we had a little prop strike. What happened, Brady? So this was kind of when I was a uh, really new pilot. Um, Ouch. I, this was like October 2017. Uh, I went flying with a buddy in Chino Valley. And this is the aftermath here that you can see. It looks like somebody cooked bacon on the side of my middle finger. Um, but that's an emergency room. And let me tell you, the, that the pain was pretty uh, insurmountable, man, on, on that one. But I was launching my wing. I was uh, just pulled up the wing and it, and it went right really hard. And so I pulled down left really hard. And at the time I had a Nirvana instinct and, and the netting on that is pretty much for show, but it's not to protect you at all. Um, and the cable from my throttle uh, was in my left hand. And I, and I think what happened was it pulled, it hit the prop and pulled it enough to where it pulled my hand back and it thumped my ring finger, uh, my pinky and my middle finger and just kind of sliced straight across it. And I think my, my, my ring finger probably got the, the brunt of everything and cut deepest to the bone. Um, and then shortly thereafter, my buddy that had been flying with me, he was waiting in the air, waiting for me to launch. He did a flyby because he saw me fall. And I just held up my hand. And of course, there was just blood everywhere on my hand. And uh, I wrapped up my hand in a towel that I had for my truck and started driving to um, the nearest hospital, which was like 30, 40 minutes away. And uh, just on the way out of our launch location, I saw a sheriff's uh, car on the side of the road. So I stopped and I said, hey, do you know where the, the, the closest hospital is? And she's like, you know what? I hate to tell you this, but this is my first week on the job here. And th th I'm not really familiar with this area. <laughs> and so I had to get on, we had to get on the phone and, and start to look. And in the meantime, she called an ambulance. The ambulance showed up. They're like, do you want to transport? And they're like, and I said, is that expensive? And they're like, yeah. And I said, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> and so at that time, my buddy showed up behind me because he was wrapping everything up for me uh, back at the launch site. And he ended up transporting me. Uh, we got to the hospital probably about 10 minutes before we got to the hospital. The, the pain was just ramping up big time. And then uh, stitched up. Um, I was lucky enough to where I didn't lose my fingers. I have a hundred, I'm back to a hundred percent. The only kind of difference now is that my ring finger, um, my wedding ring that I, that I used to wear, I wasn't wearing it at the time, but it doesn't fit anymore because the scars have basically enlarged my ring finger. So 
had to get a new ring. Um, but as I was sitting in the uh, the emergency room and getting stitched up, I I called my wife and I told her, I said, you know, I'm going to sell everything because by that point I'd had already a couple face plants and busted some props and spent more and more and more and more money. And I just felt like, man, this is a never ending just hole of throwing my money into it. And so I told her, I said, you know, I'm going to sell everything. And and she said, well, why are you going to do that? And I'm like, well, you know, because obviously it's dangerous and obviously it costs a lot of money. And, you know, she said, well, if you if you got into a car accident, would you sell your car? And I said, no. And she's like, well, you know, I can see how happy this makes you. So don't go selling your stuff just because you had an accident. And so that's the kind of wife I have where she's very supportive and and she's uh she sees the kind of the, the joy that it brings me. And so I'm lucky enough to have a wife like that and, and um, love her a lot. And I love, I love flying. So I'm glad she told me not to sell my stuff because I've had a lot of adventures afterwards after that, obviously. That's awesome. She's a keeper. Definitely a keeper. She's a keeper. She's a we, keeper. Just, uh, we just celebrated our 25th year. So congratulations. Wow. Thanks. So, awesome. so Brady, give us a little background. Uh, where did you go to school and how long have you been flying? So I've been flying since April of 2017. Um, I got online. I, I had actually had been just looking through things online. I was looking at possibly getting my uh, license for flying, flying helicopters. I was just looking into aviation. I've been around aviation my whole life. I'm, uh, retired from the Air Force, um, never flew, although I, I did get a chance to fly uh, in like, um, an F-16 and several other um, aircraft, but I was just looking online and I came upon Tucker Gott's videos when he was like very first starting, and I thought, well, that looks interesting, and I just started to do some research on it, and I thought, you know, I could do that, and so um, I was looking in uh, for schools at the time, and I found uh, Ryan Shaw down in Phoenix area and trained with him for um, on and off for about two months and got about 20 flights in and bought the Nirvana Instinct. And actually, I was looking back on it, of course, you don't know what you don't know at the time. And I really wish I would have got a a Nirvana Rodeo at the time, which is what I have now. It's kind of like the Jeep version, and the, the Instinct is like the Ferrari version. And um, I really wish I'd have got a Rodeo at the time, but the netting on the Rodeo is much better and much more protective, whereas the Instinct, the netting is more for looks than anything else. It's not really there <clears throat> to give too much protection. So I finished my... Um, training in, in April 2017. And what's interesting is looking back on some of the flights I took afterwards, I would have never recommended that for, I, I wouldn't have recommended some of the flights I took for beginners. Like, for example, one of the first flights I did was around Superstition Mountains, which is a 40 mile round or 40 mile loop, basically through the through some really rough country. 
So if I would have had an engine out, I would have been like in, in deep caca, man. I would have been in big trouble. But, you know, we flew it and everything was fine. So, you know, you don't know what you don't know until you start learning through, through more and more flights. Um, and that's uh, actually August of 2017. So everything happened in 2017, pretty much the first year when you're learning how to fly. That's when one of my buddies had his reserve that had trained uh, at the same time I did. His reserve opened up um, unexpectedly, and I watched that from behind. And that was actually on one of the um, uh, Superstition Springs Mountain flights. And he went down. Um, we were probably uh, about. He was probably. I was probably about 150. We had just launched. I was about 150 feet in the air. He was about 100, and I was above and behind him, and I saw, you know, this reserve chute just kind of come out the back, and, um, oh, it's not that one there. It's, uh, well, that's actually the one where my prop hit my hand, and you can kind of see where that cable goes back. <coughs> but uh, I saw the reserve come out the back, and we were on intercoms at the time. I had a Cena hookup, and I said, are you okay? And I, of course, he was in the middle of plummeting to the earth because his wing kind of shot forward and surged down, and then it equaled out on the back with his reserve. And he fell 100 feet, and he had a scout, uh, broke that frame, bent the bars uh, near the gas tank, and broke his back and so and we didn't know at the time but I found yeah that's his rig there at the very at the end right after I right when I was picking him up um so I got on the intercom he said I'm okay just go get the truck so I went and got his truck and when I showed up he was standing next to his gear and I said are you okay and he's like yeah my back just really hurts and I could tell I've had my back thrown out before not related to PBG but in other circumstances. And I said, yeah, I, you've definitely hurt something. So I stood him up, you know, against the truck. He waddled over there and I wrapped everything up. Um, long story short, he finally went to the hospital and found out that he broke his back. Um, and the whole reserve thing was because he had been reaching underneath to pull his seat forward and had clipped I guess on the scout, it's underneath, and it had um, clipped, uh, his finger had kind of caught one of the handles, I guess, and deployed it. And so it caught him by surprise, because he didn't know until it jerked him back, you know, as he's going forward, his wing surges. So um, that was quite the crazy experience. And at the time, I didn't have any cameras really on me um, running, but it was crazy to watch that happen, and I was glad that he was okay, but uh, I, he got back up and flying and eventually uh, sold his stuff, and I think he's, I don't know if he's, he's moved on yet or not, but um, he's still kind of in the circles of Arizona PPG flyers. Interesting. So when you had your prop strike, um, what is the takeaway from that? Because I'm sure that people are, are going to be watching this where uh, maybe they haven't even 
started. What is that? Kevin. Whoops. Okay. <laughs> <Accident>. <laughs> so I know, so I know somebody this and be, oh my God, you know, I don't want to do, I, I don't want to fly PPG or paramotors because look at all these, uh, you know, people's hands being cut open and, and getting hurt. So Brady, um, tell everyone um, what, what's the, uh, what's the reason why it happened and how can we avoid it in the future? I think one of the biggest things that I hadn't done at that time, which um, I do all the time, and I think a lot of people do all the time now, is with your with your throttle cable, you want to make sure that that's wrapped over the top of your arm, and then it's in your hands instead of kind of just coming out of the side of your arm and and running free. Um, that's one thing you can do. The other thing that I did was any space. Even after I put it over my arm, I would check to see as I'm moving around my left hand, because it's my left throttle, any kind of space where the cage opens up a little bit, uh, where that um, cable can go back in any little space. Because there's always, seems to be there's, you know, some of the PPGs have nets all the way around and then are kind of cinched down in the middle but the rodeo has um, four different pieces of frames that you can take apart pretty quick and put them together. Um, so what I do now is there's space in between there that almost lines up right where the cable goes back. So I put some Velcro um, and wrap it around a couple of areas right where, those, where, that connection, where that space is. So even if my throttle does find its way in that skinny space that leads to the prop, it's going to hit those, uh, those uh, Velcro and, it, and it, it, there's just no way the throttle can go back there. So just making sure that you have netting and that you have any space at all when you're on the ground without your engine on, checking to see where that throttle cable goes back and if it goes back in between any little space that could even ever reach the prop. Once you solve that, that the, pro the, the probability of that ever happening again is next to nothing. So we think that, that the uh, throttle cable went back and pulled your hand back. Is that what we think happened? That's what I think happened. Of course, it happened so quick, but you know, when I pulled down left really hard and pulled, I think I pulled down and out. And so if I would have had the cable and it, it wasn't over my arm at the time, which I know it wasn't because I didn't know about that yet, it had a lot of excess. And so it would bend and then went back between the netting of the Nirvana Instinct, which like I said, is really minimal. It can, anything can go through that, that netting. Um, and so one of the things that I would say to people that are considering Nirvana is, one, they're probably one of the most reliable engines that are out there. I'd have zero problems, and I'd still have zero problems, except what I would recommend is don't get the Nirvana straight out of the gates, because like I said, that's like the sports car of the PPG world and Nirvana. Um, get something like the Rodeo where it can take a beating and is a little bit more robust. Um, but whatever PPG you have, just make sure that the netting that you have is cinched down and um, doesn't allow space for that throttle cable or anything else for that matter. Like if you were to 
I don't know, let go of your brakes and somehow they, they start to come back. You know, you want to have netting that's good and protects you. I've, I've heard a lot of people say the same thing that you're saying, that they have to have their throttle cable at a certain angle. They're not able to, to do a forward launch because it could go back and warp the cage and all that stuff. I got myself a, a SkyTap Angel, and I can put my hands back as far as I want to, fling anything, let go of the, the brakes, whatever I want to do, and nothing gets back there. Even if I fling my hands all the way back, there's just no way my hand can get back inside there. There's 500 test pound um, Kevlar uh, netting on mine, and you can take that, that throttle and put tight in a knot, and it still works. So mm -hmm. when I hear about, you know, things like this, it I, I just wonder, you know, I mean, it scares me, and I just wonder why are there frames out there that are like that? Let's go ahead and ask the panel real quick and see what kind of frames they have. Uh, maybe, you know, uh, let's, let's go to Brian. Brian Waller, uh, he was our guest uh, last week. He's the one that was shown on Tucker Gott's last video on what, oh, not, no. <laughs> what not to do when it comes to kicking hay bales and flying low. Right. Um, glad that you're okay. And uh, I think, what, you're going to be out of your cast here in a week? Yeah, that's right, man. Uh, good deal. I'll be out in a week. I'll have a boot, and, and then I'll be uh, flying before you know it. But I, I fly a, a Parajet, a Maverick um, Parajet, uh, the motor, the Monster 185. And basically, I was trained um, during my training that you take the throttle cable and you wrap it around your arm. Um, with my geometry sitting in that frame, it just, it was a little tight for me. So I'm actually in the habit now of not wrapping it around my arm. Um, but I have a pretty good strong net too. So he's got me thinking about it a little bit now. Interesting. Well, I mean, and the spacing is going to be the one, the one thing that I think you just have to look out for, because if you look at the, if you look at the rodeo, you know, right on the side, if you're, you know, if you're facing forward on your left and right side, there's a space in between those two segments of the top frame and the bottom frame and, and it's lined up, uh, you know, straight across. And so it's, it's, uh, it would be easy for a throttle, a throttle cable to go through there. Um, if you don't do anything, like if you don't put some Velcro around those to stop that from going back, um, but you know, any of the PPGs out there that uh, have space of any kind where your throttle side cable is, you just really want to pay attention to that because, you know, you're just trying to reduce risk as much as possible. And like, I don't worry about that at all anymore. Like I've solved that problem with the netting that I have and with the Velcro that I use. I don't even think about it anymore. Um, I know it's not a problem that I'll ever have. And so a lot of a lot of the hard experiences I had were that first year I was trained, um, which kind of goes back to the video I was telling you about where I hit that pinion juniper. Um, you want me to share my screen and show you that one? Sure, go ahead. All right, let's see here. Don't ask me how. Don't ask me how to uh, share. Uh, <laughs> have JP that uh, um, shares everything for us. 
He's he's our tech guy. Apparently. Oh, JP does. Yeah, I, I can't see where to share it on this, but um, if you go, so I have, I just I have a YouTube channel that I've posted videos for my family and friends, um, and on there, one of my first videos, I think it was actually the second video I ever posted, was called "Try Your Best," and so if you go down to videos. Okay, we're there. We're looking. Okay, go up to the videos tab. And then towards all the way to the bottom, uh, towards the right, uh, second from the right, is try your best. And yep. this is was not a fun time. In fact, I wasn't going to put it up, but my daughters convinced me to do otherwise. And we put some corny music to it. Yeah, we're not we're not going to put the music on. So walk us That's through. That's fine. It. Yeah. So so this is when I had my instincts. So little did I know, you know, I would be um, eventually cutting my fingers sooner or later. Um, with this. But so I lined up on this forest road, and the wind was coming straight up it. And uh, the only tree in the area is the one that you can see straight ahead towards the right. Yeah. And so I'm getting connected, everything's going fine, and and the wind seems to be going fine. And at the time, you know, I'd, I wasn't too accustomed to knowing that wings typically pull right, or at least one, mine does. And I I felt like I can do, I can make this, I can make it over the tree. So I pulled it up, I look left, and I see it, and I'm like, okay, it looks good. So I start running, and I'm like, I, I can make it. And oh, then, oh, Oh, so this is opinion juniper. So it was no fun. Oh, and does it have big thorns in it or what? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh. And so I had to shut my it, my my engine was still going, so I'm shutting it off here, just holding down the kill. And the worst part of this was my lines were so wrapped up into this opinion juniper. And I wasn't hurt. I had some scratches on my arms. Um, I took my, my gear off, uh, walked over to my truck, and actually I forgot my camera was recording. And I put it, put it on the back of my truck bed. And I spent the next 45 minutes or so basically filleting that tree. Because if you go, if you go down there now, that, it's like that tree is completely filleted. I broke so many branches just trying to get good lines out of there. And it was a horrible experience. Uh, but you learn from it. And luckily, you know, I didn't get hurt. I was just I was just thinking I might be able to make it over this. But of course I wasn't. So and right here I said, well, that was interesting. And so what's your takeaway from this one? So when we have uh, you know new people that want to get into it or new people that are just starting how do they you know avoid running into a tree so if you can find a launch area well don't if but find a launch area especially when you're starting out find a launch area that has no obstructions at all in any direction like if your wing comes up and it pulls left and you go running off left, you'll be a fine or right or whatever. Just have no obstructions. And if that can be in a large field, that'd be great. You know, I see some of these 
videos of guys flying back in Pennsylvania and back east and out here in the west we take off in the desert so we're loving watching people take off from lush grass because we don't have that unless you get lucky um, but if you can find a field probably one of the best launches launch areas that I enjoy the most is out on the Navajo Nation close to where I live it's this huge lake bed and um, it's it's easily a thousand feet in every direction. And it's just kind of soft. And uh, you can pull that wing up and run in any direction. And you got no rocks, you got no cactus, you got no trees, you got no nothing. And so when you're first starting out, my, my recommendation is find a launch space that has no obstructions or rocks or gopher holes or things that you can trip on um, for at least, I would say, at least 250 feet all around. That would be your, your ideal situation. Not always able to find those, but that would be ideal. I, 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 I concur with you for sure. JP, can you share his YouTube channel in the chat for us? Let's go over to uh, Shane, never trust a skinny chef. Um, Hello. You are relatively a new pilot. You started flying about the same time I did back in November of last year. Correct. Um, what, what, what do you take away from this? How, how do you make sure that you don't run into, I don't know, trees or other obstructions when you, um, when you take off? What you well, there, well, with the poker run, I don't know if you remember, I was live and almost took off and landed, or actually I almost ran into the back of a camper. I had to uh, abort mission. I had to hit brakes and uh, slide on my knees. And I came up about 10 feet shy of hitting the back of the camper, laid the uh, corner of the camper with a little bit of my, uh, my wing. And uh, <clears throat> it was just weird. The wind shifted on me and I thought for a second I could, I could fix it. And when I looked up, to my wing, I was like, okay, it's good. I looked up at the camper. I was like, I'll never make that. So I just aborted. Uh, luckily, I did. I would have never have made it over that camper. Yeah, so it, it seems like a, like, like, um, like everyone's talking about when you first start flying, you, you don't have your depth perception. Uh, you don't know exactly where you're going to go. You think that you're going to go this way, but your wing and, and your body just takes you another way. We also have Tommy Mosley in the uh, group here. He flew out. Are you still, are you here? I just see a, a picture. I don't know if you're live. Hey, I'm still here. Okay. So, so Tommy and I, we went out and flew yesterday and our takeoff was between these two big rows of trees. Now to me, I've flown this a couple of times and, you know, I, I don't have any problem maneuvering around it. He, he actually told me, he goes, I don't know about this. So tell me, Tommy, what did you see when you saw the obstructions and what finally happened? Um, I have a bad, bad experience with object fixation. I've ran into a few things because I'm paying too much attention to it. So I was just trying my best to look at the open area, shoot for that. Uh, but yeah, there's there's a couple launch sites here in Arkansas. We have so many trees. It's really hard to to find an open area to land or an open area to take off because you normally always have trees. So object fixation for me is something that I've 
I definitely think about uh, if I'm looking at it, I'm going to hit it. We also have um, Brian Walker and uh, Brian Walker. He had kind of uh, object fixation also when he ran. Brian himself. Waller. Did I say Waller? It's all, it's all good, man. I wasn't going to correct him. <laughs> what I say? What I say? I meant Brian Waller. What I say? Walker. Walker. That's all right. I am so sorry. I'm, my my boss's name is Walker, and uh, it's just crazy how how similar. But anyway, Brian Waller. Uh, he had object fixation also and flew himself between two bales of hay and you're trying to maneuver. So what happened on that way? Well, I mean, why'd you hit the bale of hay? I went too far left. <laughs> um, no, <clears throat> I think Tucker's the first one that pointed it out, but yeah, target fixation was what he called it. And uh, he was spot on, man. Um, I mean, it's a thing. I've been driving motorcycles all my life. If you're driving straight down the road and you just look to the right, you'll slowly start wandering to the right without thinking about it. Um, the same kind of goes for paramotors too. Um, that last bit, I was completely focused on that bell of hay. And I suspect that Bradley was also focused on that bush, which was the only thing out in that desert. Um, you must have been looking at it to go straight into it is what I thought. But uh, what, what, what's your feedback on that? Bradley? Oh, um, yeah, I've definitely had the same thing, especially, I mean, I used to ride dirt bikes and I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, but I think when you're flying low like this, you definitely have to watch out for target fixation because it'll just suck you right in. And yeah. I, I was just watching your video actually a couple of days ago, I think when Tucker uh, posted it and I was just like, oh man, that's got to hurt like hell. Sucks for that dude, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And well, it's, you know, I've seen it quite a few just times. Look, just looking at it, you know, I'm thinking sometimes you might be cutting things close to an object and you don't know that maybe a, a wisp of wind might take you over quickly uh, to the left or right. And you might not know that that's coming up. So that's another danger as well. I mean, I, there was a, uh, about two months ago, I was flying and I had my uh, wind, wind sock up on the back of my truck and it, it probably stretches up about 20 feet or so. And I was doing a flyby and I had banked really hard left trying to come around it. And I was looking left and as I was looking left, I saw the tip catch the wind sock. And I thought, I'm in so much trouble. And it, I could see it pull the windsock down and then it was like twang and it came back and I was able to keep flying and I was just like, I am not going to fly that close to stuff like that again, you know, you just got to be careful. And then of course I go down a canyon and fly really close to canyons. But um, yeah, I think, you know, anytime you're flying low, especially if you have an object that's coming up, that target fixation is one thing. But another thing that I think we always have to look out for is uh, like sink, you know, and or just pushing you left and right, and you just don't know that's going to happen. So, giving yourself enough leeway for that. But I feel for you. Yeah, there's just no room for error when you're down that low. I mean, you you really need the weather to be right, and you know your focus to be on, and you know you can your equipment not to fail at that particular moment. So uh, yeah. I knew I was taking a risk, you know, every time we fly low around stuff, you know, you get down in that canyon, 
you know, you're taking a chance. But yeah, yeah. isn't it fun? <laughs> you you got to measure the risk and and you know balance that against the reward. Um, there was one uh, like a last year around this time we I flew up in Page, Arizona, which is around Horseshoe Bend, which is a a really big tourist site because that's one of the starting points of the Grand Canyon and it's just a beautiful site. And the day before um, we had got up there and my engine wasn't, it just seemed like it was just really humid and so it was reacting to that and I was having um, problems I'd never experienced before. Um, and I just chose that day not to fly over the canyon because I didn't want to have an engine out. So you just have to, you know, you just have to kind of gauge that and then measure against it. But especially if you're flying low, that's the that's some of the most rewarding flying I've ever had, but it's also some of the most risky. Yeah, I, I totally agree. We also have our uh, Kevin Can Fly. He is our uh, resident instructor that, that helps us with instructional needs. So I think that uh, we need to listen to Kevin real quick. Uh, when you have students, do you have them, uh, do you tell them about that object, object fixation and to steer away from something? Or how, how do you work it when you, uh, when you talk to your students about what we're talking about? So we, we discuss object fixation when we start our kiting process. <clears throat> the biggest thing with object fixation is where your eyes look is where your body goes. A lot of students, when they start kiting, they wanna look at the ground and run forward and they don't pick their eyes up. Um, as it's been said, and I grew up riding dirt bikes myself, so wherever your head looks is where your body goes. That's, that's kind of a given statement, whether it's snow skiing, water skiing, whatever, it's kind of always the same. So, hold on just a second. Sure. Uh, we also have uh, JP Tool. He's our, um, our, our engineer here. He takes care of all the the engineering stuff behind the scenes. We appreciate you, sir. Uh, what do you think about the object fixation? Uh, which, what's your take on this? Uh, yeah, I think it, you know, it's pretty much what everyone has said. If you stare at something long enough, uh, you, you tend to go towards it and um, don't do that as Tucker says. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, do you have any um, advice for anybody? Cause how long have you been flying JP? Uh, a little over a year. Um, something that I learned actually in driving school was look 12 seconds ahead, you know. Don't look, you know, right in front of you, but look down the whatever, wherever you're going to be in 12 seconds, you know, look there. And if you continue looking there and don't fix on a point that you're coming up towards, you'll, you won't end up there. So as long as you continue to look ahead, you tend to avoid that. Gotcha. Are you back, Mr. Kevin? Yeah, sorry, kids. <laughs> Understand. So yeah, so what I was what I was saying is basically like what JP was saying. It's it, you you look as far down the road as you can see or as you can anticipate. That's and and I think that's the key word that we want to use is anticipation. So like like. Brady was saying about flying around the windsock. 
you know, when you when you're getting your wing in close to the ground and trees are close to the, the the biggest part about that is, you know, like I've said before, like we talked about with when we talked about Brian's injury, is that danger commitment. <clears throat> it's whether you are committing to that a hundred percent and instead of having that panic mode, you your fight or flight instinct kind of kicks in and you go into fight mode. And so you you know, your, your brain kind of automatically tries to drive you away from the problem. Whereas sometimes we go into that panic mode where we don't know what to do. And it might only be a millisecond, but that millisecond is the difference between missing a hay bale by six or eight inches or hitting it and being able to tell a story. So it, I think a lot of it is like what JP said. It's, it's being able to have that anticipation of where you're going to be and what you're going to be doing when you get there whether it's an abort, because like in, in general aviation, before we even take off, we go through an abort procedure. And so if we don't meet the, the given speed by a given period of the runway, we abort the takeoff. If we lose power on a given portion of the runway, we land and turn off using the remaining portion of the runway. And if you lose power climbing out, you don't try to make the impossible 180 stall the airplane, kill yourself, you aim for something straight ahead, you establish your glide and find the best safe spot possible. So it, it's a lot of it is just anticipating where you're going to be and what you're going to want to do when you get there. Sometimes what we want to do and what we actually get to do are often different things. But that's, the, that's, that's my way of thinking is if you can think about it ahead of time, then you should be able to avoid the problem versus re reacting to a problem. So this kind of sounds like a pre-flight thing too to do into your head. You know, when you uh, start thinking about, you know, taking off, it's like, all right, I see the field in front of me. Um, if I start drifting this way, abort. If I start drifting this way, abort. If I get up to this high and I lose power, sounds like something that we need to put into our, um, you know, to put into our heads that uh, is part of the pre-flight. What do you think, Kevin? Is, is that what you're saying? Yeah. yeah, it's definitely, it's part of the mental process. So like when we discuss the procedures of flying, we, we always discuss and we always want to acknowledge the, the get there itis that we have. So we want to strap our motor on the back of the car and we want to get to the flying field as quickly as possible. I've seen guys who got in a hurry they forgot to strap down their motor. And in a, in a given case, one of them was an electric start paramotor. And when the paramotor fell off the rack on the road, the LiPo battery ignited and it burned the entire paramotor down. The guy lost $7,000, a whole air conception wow. motor. And, and that was get there itis. He was in such a hurry to get to the field and go fly that he failed to go through all the proper steps to make sure his motor was strapped down, his gas tank was strapped down. Everything was 100%. And it, as much of a joke as it is, I like to use the stupid insurance commercial where they talk about the discount double check. It's always cheaper to check twice and know that everything is good than to sit there and go, oh, man, that sucked. Exactly. That, that's also like, you know, measure twice, cut once. Exactly. Um, I appreciate that, Kevin, that, that insight. Uh, so, so, Brady, um, is, is this something that you have kind of inquired or uh, have it's part of your repertoire now to, to think about this and to look into the future and do a, do pre-flights. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I was nodding my head so much because the get there itis and and the I must fly itis as well is something that you have to watch out for. I think a lot of a lot of people when they're first starting out, if they're going to meet friends or you know, and they're driving you know 30, 40 minutes, or I've driven two hours to go fly with friends, um, you feel this obligation to fly, and you shouldn't. You should always, you know, I used to feel obligated to fly, uh, which led me to fly in some really crazy conditions uh, that I shouldn't have. And I landed about as soon as I could after I took off. Um, so just that, uh, what I tell myself when I'm going anywhere to fly, anywhere, uh, I tell myself, you don't have to fly today. You don't have to fly today. And if you want, you can just kite and you don't even have to kite today. And so taking that pressure off yourself because, you know, it takes some time, load your truck up and get gassed up and get your gear together. And so by all that, all the time that's gone by to do all that and all the preparation, you almost feel obligated. Like, well, I've done all this work. I'm going to drive all this way and I'm going to have to fly today. And, you know, the first thing I'd tell people starting out is don't ever feel obligated to fly take that pressure off yourself and um, just tell yourself you don't have to fly today. And, uh, you know, we had a, me and a buddy, uh, Sam, Sam Roach, who, who lives up near the Grand Canyon, uh, we went to go fly the other day um, near some craters in the area. And the wind actually looked pretty good. And when we first got out there, um, the windsock was pretty laminar and it looked pretty smooth, uh, but it started to switch up and he was having problems with his engine and I, and I was ready to go. So I said, you know, I'm just gonna go up and test it. And I did, and I could feel the turbulence and it, was, it wasn't, you know, extremely bad, but it wasn't like the kind of flight like that you like to have because it's just bumpy and it can, and it's not enjoyable. So I landed and I said, you know, I, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. I said, you can give it a go if you want. And he says, no, I, you know, you've been, you've been flying, um, uh, now for three years. So I, I think I'll take your word for it. And so we just sat around and talked for about an hour before we departed and took off, but um, not obligating yourself to fly. And then the other one I think is really important is aborting your takeoffs. D you know, don't go flying into the pinion juniper because you think you're going to make it. You have to know you're going to make it. And if you don't, then just change your launch or don't launch altogether, just abort it. And so those two things I think you you put upon yourself like, well, I got the wing up, I'm running, so I need to get off the ground. No, you don't. And that's where a lot of mistakes happen, I think. So just kind of removing that pressure to one, fly, uh, and uh, two, to launch. Um, you can abort. You can always abort. And, and I, I totally agree. Matter of fact, um, one of the things that I always tell my wife is I tell her that, you know, I'm going down to wherever and I'm going to fly, but if the winds don't look right or, you know, I just don't want to or, or, or try a couple launches and I fail. My, my thing is if I fail three, three launches, there's something wrong here. There's something wrong and I'm just going to stop, pack up and, uh, you know, and enjoy the time with my friends, take video if I'm there with someone else. Um, and also, too, when I launch, one of the things I always do is I run with it 
but I look at both wingtips before I, you know, punch it to make sure that I don't have any any weird things going on because I do not want to launch with that up in the air. Um, Kevin can fly um, is our uh, is our instructor that uh, we can ask different things. Uh, one of the things that I guess we need to ask you, Mr. Kevin, is um, when you tell your students when they start launching, do you have them look at both wings? Do you tell them that if you don't feel right, you can you can abort? What is your say? What do you tell your your students when um, when they start off? Uh, we, we start off when we arrive at the field. The very first thing we want to do is observe. That's that's lesson number one. That's the very first thing. <clears throat> Get the windsock out before you unpack the wing, before you unpack the motor, before you unpack anything else. Set up your windsock. And then it's really normally we meet with more than one pilot. Sometimes we fly alone, but a lot of times we fly with other people. So that gives us a great excuse to have another two or three drinks of coffee to ask, you know, how's family life or whatever, anything that's away from, mentally away from the task at hand. And honestly, I say that because what we have to do is reset mentally. And that goes back to the get their itis. So when we're driving in the car, we get anxiety. We get so excited to go fly that when we finally get there, we've got butterflies, We've got this anxiety. We've got this emotion built up. This is going to be so exciting. And then, like you said, what happens is you start overthinking a launch. You start using uh, complacency to do a bad launch. You might use bad body posture because you're trying to be quick and lazy. And so what we want to do is mentally reset the brain. And by resetting the brain, it allows us to come at it from a nice, fresh new point of view. So by setting up the windsock, taking 10 or 15 minutes and doing nothing more than just BSing the morning, watching the windsock, and then being observant about the direction. So when the windsock decides to change 10 or 15 degrees, not a big deal. It's pretty standard one direction. But if you're sitting there watching your windsock make 90 or 180 degree shifts, how are you going to time your launch? You're going to time a downwind launch. You're going to time a launch into wind. How are you going to figure it out? That's where the 15 minutes comes in. Count the cycles. Figure out if the cycles are good cycles or if they're crappy cycles, if they're wind cycles or thermal cycles, because sometimes we wake up late. And by the time we get to the flying field, we think, well, it's only 730. It's not that late. I should be able to fly for at least a half hour, right? But what we don't realize is by 730, it's already become thermic. You only had a half hour window from 6.30 to 7 or whatever. And after 7, it's, it's now starting to build. And so you watch that windsock and you watch those thermal cycles come through. And that period of time can tell you, like Brady said, it's not the day to go fly. I've already got here too late. The conditions are in such a way that I'm going to be putting myself or my gear in jeopardy. And it's not conducive. I like to compare it to surfing. Once you own the wetsuit, once you own the surfboard, and once you've learned how to surf, it's just a matter of waiting for a good day for good swell. We don't have to go get wet every day. We don't have to go get slammed on the beach and break a board to learn that today was a bad day to surf. We have it right there. We have the skill. We have the equipment. When the day is good and the operations are how we want them to be, we commit to the entertainment. We make 100% commitment and we go fly. 
If at any point things don't feel fun or don't feel right, we immediately stop and figure out why. And that could be mentally, that could be emotionally, that could be the gear. But if at any point, and it's the I'm safe checklist, did I take medication? Did I get enough sleep? Did I eat? Am I emotionally prepared for this flight? Am I physically prepared for this flight? Is my gear prepared for this flight? Am I safe? And if you can't check off all of the boxes, then you shouldn't go fly. Secondarily to that is the rules of three. If you get to the field and you don't feel good, that's number one. If you get to the field and your motor's not running right or doesn't feel right, that's number two. You should never get to number three. Pilots get in accidents because they compile the problems. One problem to another problem and they start adding up and the problems add up faster than the human brain can solve them and we find ourselves in a problem we can't solve. So if we get to the first one, we might be able to succumb it. I might just have had a, a bad breakfast. I can get past that. I might just need to go pee. I can get past that. But if my motor's running like crap and my body's not feeling right, I'm compiling two problems that can lead to a bigger one, which may be a decision-making problem. We want to avoid that list of problems. So we reset the brain by taking a couple of minutes, getting over the get there-itis. We're here now. We've made it. We're at the flying field. Big, deep breath. Set up the windsock. Let's observe. Let's see what's going on. Everything looks good. Let's get out the wing. Maybe a quick two minutes of hand kiting. Make sure it feels right. The wing looks right. Nothing changed from the last time you enjoyed yourself. Get out the motor. Warm it up. Make sure the motor works good. All of this is a time process. And if you do the process the same way every single time, then you yourself should be able to identify any place where something's not right. If the wing doesn't come out correct, there was a reason why it went in incorrect. If the motor doesn't run right, you shouldn't try to commit yourself to going and, and relying on it if something's not right. Aviation has an ultimate outcome. That ultimate outcome is you could not have a friend again tomorrow. We don't want to have that. We want to have our friends as long as possible. Safety is paramount number one, decision-making number two. Kind of a long-winded answer, but that's my No, that, that's really good. Matter of fact, um, anybody that's new, I would definitely recommend that you rewind five minutes and uh, listen to that over and over again when you go to the field. I mean, that, that's absolutely wonderful. Uh, that's KevinCanFly.com. He owns his own paramotor in, uh, in, uh, in school up in where? Uh, the the school is Bridge City PPG, and we participate just to the south of Portland, Oregon. All right. And now let's go back to our guest real quick. We appreciate your time. We are not done yet, but let's go ahead and uh, tell people how they can get up with you, find you on, on YouTube and other social media. So uh, my, my YouTube channel, um, I used to go by Goofyfoot PPG, um, but then Facebook made me change my name to my real name and I had to do that. So it's under B Smith, which is pretty common, obviously. So you'd have to search for it a bit. Um, and uh, now if you, if you were to search for, uh, I believe it's youtube.com forward slash C as in cat, 
forward slash B Smith PPG, you'll get to my channel. And I've, you know, I've only, I've got a handful of videos I put up. I usually only put up the ones where um, uh, I really had a great time and really wanted to capture that moment. Um, of course, a, a lot of them are like that, but um, sometimes, you know, you just want to put the camera down and you just want to fly with your friends. Uh, but this one that we're looking at here is a place called Star Wars Canyon, and that's uh, between Sedona and Camp Verde. And, you know, as we were talking about risk versus reward here, um, coming through here, it's just one, because I was flying with three other guys, we all um, basically know that if there's something going on or if somebody has an engine out that we're going to come get you and we're going to do the best we can to do that. Some of us have comms and some of us don't. Um, you know, it's, I think it's one of the most important things to have. It really helps out a lot. Uh, I've had one instance where one of my friends had an engine out and landed on the plateau of a, uh, a mountain in Sedona, which um, there was only like a four-wheel high clearance forest road to get up there. And so what I did is I flew over him uh, and called him on the phone because uh, I hook up my Cena so I can listen to music, take phone calls, receive phone calls. And I called him and I circled over him for about 40 minutes. And basically we mapped out where he was going to walk to and where the forest road was and what the plan was. And it took us about an hour to get to him. Um, but just having that communication uh, really helped out a lot. So yeah, that's my YouTube channel. Um, I post every now and then, only when it's really special or I've had uh, some plans to go out and do an excellent flight in an excellent place. Like this coming weekend, uh, we're looking at doing Horseshoe Bend again. And that's the one in Page, Arizona. That's really incredibly spectacular country up there. And so I'll probably it's be- really super special that. because it's your birthday flying, right? Yeah, so so last year I I sent out a message to some buddies on Facebook saying, Hey, July twenty seventh, my birthday. I'm gonna I'm going up to Page. I'm gonna fly horseshoe bend. Cause I I mean I fly by myself a lot because there's not a lot of people around Flagstaff that fly. There's only like one other that I fly with regularly. Um, but schedules and things like that are hard to to match up so I fly a lot by myself so I was going to go up to Horseshoe Bend and fly by myself and had uh, four other guys join me and it was just a really memorable time and the scenery up there is just incredible and so I shot out another message a couple weeks ago and I think there's about 10 to 15 of us going up there um, this year so Hopefully the wind will work out. Hopefully it won't be too windy because we're in monsoon season here and there's going to be some storms probably in the evenings, but hopefully uh, Saturday morning will be awesome and we can fly it. JP, I think your your screen is frozen. Are you still there? You're, you're full screen. Yes, there we go. Um, okay, so do you... Uh, uh, Instagram, Snapchat, anything else, or is it just 
No, just... I typically just do YouTube. I mean, I have an Instagram, but I hardly post on it, you know. Um, anything that I put online is going to be uh, through my YouTube channel. I do sell, uh, I've sold a couple of these stickers that I've, that I've uh, created. It says PPG Pilot. Nice. And so I sell those through my PayPal account. And they're like five bucks. They're vinyl. They're pretty 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 cool. And I've sold some of those. Um, I'll have to send you that link later when I can find it. But uh, I do a lot of graphic design, and so um, decided to make that sticker. What I want to do is make one with a face plant. Um, these uh, PPG face plant sticker. So that'll be coming soon. I'll put all cool. the links down below for sure. That way everybody can take a look. I uh, just want to let everybody see our panel here. Um, Brady Smith is our guest. We appreciate your time here. Um, I am PPG Grandpa. We also have Brian Waller. If you are anybody in the paramotor community, you probably saw Tucker got uh, spotlighting Brian Waller and his fun little bump on the, hey, we got JP Tulo. He's our <laughs> he's our guy that, that helps uh, screen share everything. Linda Anderson, she is our our model, and she takes care of all of our um, uh, good looking yeah. good looking. Yeah. Right, right, right. You're the yeah. good looking here because I'm not. Yes, gonna... you guys. I love my circle. <laughs> we also <laughs> we also have Kevin can fly at Kevin. <laughs> Is it? Oh, see, I'm not the only one with bad internet tonight. Oh, yeah, I, I gotta be the one. Sue's are rolling in or something, Brady, because I've been going in and out. I think Kevin likes that. <laughs> Kevin, you're breaking up horribly. <laughs> horribly. And we have, we have uh, Never Trust a Skinny Chef Shane, and uh, not only does he fly PPG, but he also cooks, and you have a cooking show? Where's your cooking show? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm re revamping my, uh, my show there. Kevin. Kevin. I'm still here. You're killing us, Kevin. I thought, well, see, I was killing earlier because I got muted. <laughs> I think he's a robot. And we also have uh, Tommy Mosley. Uh, he's one of my friends. He's actually been uh, flying down here with me. And uh, we went to, we flew to Sonic on one day and, and ate at uh, 3,500 feet. And um, we did That's who that is? Yeah. Oh, that's the guy from the video. Okay. Yeah. All right, man. I it took yeah, me yeah. You can't you can't be making me famous, man. You're gonna have to take me out of your videos. Hey, hey, this guy's on his way to be famous. He's on the the Sonic video with uh, PBG Grandpa Sean. You guys gotta watch that video, by the way. He just released it. <laughs> I think it premieres tomorrow morning, right? Oh, it's not out yet. Yeah, we have, you guys were able to watch it. Oh, well, you guys yeah. were free. Let me no, tell we, you. We right got now. to see the pre-fly video, but the real video comes out tomorrow. No, Tucker got fame, right? All right, all right. No, no, it wasn't that good, but it was pretty interesting. It's definitely, um, you know, like Anthony Vella, you know, he went there and 
uh, Anthony got uh, well, burritos the other day. He went over and got some milk. And uh, another guy <laughs> over at uh, England, he went to um, to Burger King. You know, Tucker got went to McDonald's, and um, you know. I, I cannot go to the place that I want to because it's inside of a no-fly zone for the uh, airport. What was that? There's a place I want to fly to, and yeah. it would be amazing, but it's just inside, less than a tenth of a mile inside of a no-fly zone. I cannot get permission to fly into. Oh, no. Where is it? Hooters. <laughs> <You know. laughs> there goes your monetization. Yeah, really oh, this is honest. You know, hey. Man. Really good video. All right, guys. Uh, for everybody on the audio the, that's been listening to us on paratalk.org, we appreciate your uh, time listening to us. You can always go and jump over to Clear Prop TV and watch it because it'll be on YouTube also. Um, everyone here, we definitely appreciate your time. Don't go anywhere, guys, because now we're opening up this room for our after party. Woot, 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 woot. So uh, go ahead and uh, who, who's going to post our, um, I guess I'll post our, our, our stuff here in the chat. Um, what is it? Our room. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you guys see uh, Paramore Crazy's uh, comment? He's thinking about flying the Cinnabons. <laughs> oh, yeah. funny! Oh, that would there be you go. That's different. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry, it caught me. I'm sorry. Go in, ahead. In the chat, in the chat, you can see our room number. That's uh, our room number for Zoom, and that's our password. So, <laughs> on in and uh, let's uh, let's party like it's 19. 18 right after the plague ah. <laughs> all right time to turn off this goodbye to our audio bye-bye and we're going to keep on live stream i guess we can live stream uh, on youtube our after party is that cool why not why, why not that, that way we why can not and, and see what i'll we have to tone it down a notch but yeah we can manage all right so we're i do <laughs> we are now in the after party so thank you so much brady for coming on i appreciate that thank you brady well thanks for having me i appreciate talking with fellow flyers and just learning from other people and uh, being able to share my own experiences so thank you brady don't forget to watch thursday night paraglidingtalk.com dot com all right com. Yeah, and robert's, and robert's um, pr I'm very busy. Oh. Linda, your son is so cool, by the way. Check this out. I think he is, too. I don't yeah. know if I can show this. He, he sent me a what random gift. Robert did. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. Just like out of nowhere. You know where he is right now? He's doing an SIV course. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 I texted him, and he's like, I'm in an SIV. Where is he? Which SIV? It's with Brad Gaduccio. Gaduccio? So can he just go and do one with Andrew Fuller also? I think so. No, Robert didn't. Not with Andrew. Oh, okay. He's wrong end of the country for that. Robert's in California. Yeah. I know there's so many people that are doing these SIV courses, it's hard to keep up with who's doing what and where. Yeah. 
We just have to worry about uh, hey, August I got another question. 8th and 9th. Yeah, I'm, for, yeah, I'm going down with Shane. Brady. Yeah, Shane and I are going to go down to Florida the 8th and 9th. So anybody that wants to go with us, we're going to go down to um, – where is it in Florida exactly? Lake, Lake Wales. Yeah, it's right by Lake Wales. I can't remember. Oh, man, what a drive. But, um, yeah, so it's right down there by Lake Wales. Um, Shane and I are going to be going the 8th and 9th. Um, it'll be my second SIV, his first SIV. Anybody else that wants to go, it's really fun. I posted all the 360 videos on SIVs. This time, I am not afraid to pull hard where I'm going to flip. I don't I, care. Uh, I, don't care if I, I thought get... you were going to have a freaking heart attack, okay? I'm watching you the whole video. And you're pulling that, that wing out, and you're like screaming. Now you know what it feels like when you're in labor, okay? That's kind of the same thing. <laughs> but the thing is, I was freaking I out. Thought, I thought. Never... I was <laughs> 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 Just Sorry, dog. Where are you laying next to me? But um, yeah, so, you know, when I first went there, I was scared because I, for the first, you know, almost six months of my flying, I flew high and my baby wingovers were just little right and left poles. I mean, it was nothing, right? So when I go to the SIV clinic, he goes, pull, pull, pull. And I'm like, way down here. And the wing shoots way over here. And I'm like, whoa. And I feel the G-forces like, oh, this is crazy. This time, this time, I'm going to try to break the strings, the lines <laughs> on this. I'm going to try yeah. to do yeah. something to work. Grandpa, you where I get gift wrap, <laughs> I have to like throw the, the reserve up through the gift wrap and just barely make it. I mean, I'm gonna just go crazy on this one. No. So what, what, so what gets you to that point? Like, what makes you that confident? Because I've never taken an SIV course, and that would scare the heck out of me. He's already taken one. That's why he's confident. Why. <laughs> uh, I just took one about a month or two ago, and um, since then. I've been going out, pulling big ears, doing spirals, doing wingovers, and I'm feeling really comfortable. Uh, when you first feel the G-forces, I mean, if you're just a low and slow or high and slow, you know, paramotor person that's never done anything other than that, and going in for that nice, slow landing, cut the motor and butterfly land, you know, when you actually start pulling some Gs, it, you can feel it. I mean, your whole yeah, face yeah. goes... <laughs> and you know you start to poop yourself a little bit and it's like oh my god what's going on here and you're saying foul words that that you're not used to saying that just f f f you know, where's that coming from i don't say stuff like that yeah it, it was it was exciting exhilarating and scary all at the same time and it built up my confidence to the point that i know that when i pull all these lines and try purposely to collapse it and then you know and, I'm, I'm and then when i let it go it goes and i cannot clamp very very confident in my wing very confident do you uh, always fly with the reserve always are we are we recording um uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, okay i i do a lot of foot dragging i mean one of my one of my favorite things that i do is foot drag and when i know that i'm going to be in this big field foot dragging no i i don't i don't i don't take Just, it 
Um, just uh, an FYI, we are still streaming. I know. I'm just, I'm being funny. <laughs> but um, <laughs> if, I, if I know that all I'm going to do is stay in the, the LZ and I'm foot dragging and uh, having a good time, no, I'm not going to bring my, my I'm going to put my reserve on. If I'm doing XCs and I'm going up high and I'm going to try to do, you know, 5,000, 10,000 feet, you know, go, go to Sonic, you know, and then try to fly to 10,000 feet and eat a cheeseburger and something happens to your french fries and I'm not going to say, but it's really interesting on the... Uh, ah, that's, that's what that was. Look <laughs> what happens to his french fries, let me just say. <laughs> I caught a little glimpse of the work without any audio, and I'm like, and, and then watch you know, the video, guys. Watch have, the video. We have napkins up there, and it flies behind you. It happens, <laughs> happens to your motor and your cage. You're like, what's going on? But hey. I'm like, tell you what's going on. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, um, you know, check it out tomorrow, David. Somebody got hit in the face with some French. Hey, <laughs> hey, Sean, are you still reading the chat? No, I'm uh, not. Paramount Crazy wants to know what uh, since your since your SIV course, what have you been working on the most? And uh, what'd you like to get out of your next SLV course? Oh, um, well, number one, Paramotor Crazy, jump on here. I just put the uh, the the room number and the and the um, um, password on, so jump on and let's chat. Yeah, uh, better. I know, right? So, yeah. what I nothing that I actually work on. However, I did. Uh, I'm really digging the big ears. Matter of fact, I've been doing foot drags, pulling big ears. I'm just pulling big ears, and I'm doing foot drags. What? Yeah, Sean, you need to let me get video of that from the ground, because it is, it is really, really cool to watch somebody come in foot dragging and have their canopies collapsed. How are you controlling pretty uh, awesome. altitude? Remember, altitude is with full power. By the way, he's he's full power. <laughs> what is up with the ebb and the internet there? I don't know. Tommy's internet going is is, is probably so. Um, anyway, um, yeah. So I'm pretty much full power. I'm pulling big ears, and I am hauling some. But I probably in the mail. I probably have 50 hours of just foot dragging. <laughs> I get up in the morning, I go foot drag for a couple hours. At night, I foot drag for a couple hours. Um, I put on 20, 25 hours a week on my motor. I got to do 25 hour maintenances every week. I'm foot dragging and doing so much. Um, but that's a lot of flying. I mean, I'm really enjoying it a lot. Uh, so, yeah, so pulling big ears and foot dragging, I love it. I love getting altitude and doing spirals. I don't know why. Spirals are so fun. I just feel the G-forces. I, I yeah. love it. But anyways, next, um, who, who's, who wants to talk next? I, 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 got, I got a question for Brady. Um, when, when you were following your buddy and his reserve, his reserve came out on accident, was it his reserve deploying that broke his back or him coming down and hitting the ground that broke his back it was him coming down and hitting the ground you um, come down like at 32 feet a second or something like that with the reserve yeah uh, i mean it wasn't five meters a second five meters 
for a second. It's not soft. Yeah, it wasn't soft. I mean, like it bent the frame underneath uh, where the uh, gas tank is on the Scout. And when I watched it, I mean, watching it happen, it, you know, it's kind of weird. It was like in slow motion, you see this uh, chute come out the back. And then what happens is it causes your wing to surge forward. And he only he was only up about 100 feet. So it's not like he had time to really rake it in. So his his wing surges forward, which means he's going to increase his speed now in that direction. And then his his uh, reserve didn't allow for getting up above him. It kind of acted like a break in the back. So it's these two things that are competing each against each other and neither is really offering um, you to slow down at all. So that hit is what did it. Yeah, that's what I figured. I just wanted to clear it up. I didn't think the reserve coming out would jerk you back that badly when you no. were flying at normal speed. No. no, he was, I mean, he he told me that he didn't know what was going on until, um, like, right before he hit the ground. And he didn't really know until he looked over and saw his reserve. Because, I mean, as you can imagine, you're flying, you're flying, you're flying, and then suddenly your wing goes forward, and your reserve's directly behind you. So you're not, you're not exactly seeing it right away. So you really don't know what's going on and why it's doing that. And you're falling, and so he was trying to figure things out, but you know it's it was scary to watch. And uh, I remember I was getting ready to land right next to him, and that's when he came on the intercom. He says, "You know, I'm all right. Just go get the trucks." And then I flew off really quick. We were probably we were probably only about a mile from our launch. We just so it was it was scary. When I, when I did the SIV, um, he didn't have me collapse my wing. He had me throw while I was flying. So I kind of understand what happens. It, it catches you, and then all of a sudden you go this way. And if you're only 100 feet above the ground, you probably are like, what the hell just happened? You know, so yeah, I, I totally understand. And um, that must be scary, scary as hell. So uh, when you, other when thing you did that? What's did, that? Did 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 they have you pull in your wing, or did they just have you go down with it? No, when um, when I, I pulled the wing, or I, I pulled the reserve, I went you know forward, and then I collapsed the wing and I pulled it in. Um, so yeah, now this time, this time I am going to do something that will collapse that wing, that will get me tangled up. My feet will be in the air, and I'll have to pull that reserve. I mean, this time is going to be awesome. It's gonna be absolutely awesome. I do have one question. Just just one question here. How do we have PPG great grandpa? That's <laughs> awesome. awesome name. Hey, who, who's your daddy? I have changed my YouTube channel so I could be one better. Uh oh. <laughs> He totally went up to PPG Grandpa to be great grandpa. Oh man, man, I tell ya, I was, I was gonna choose never trust a really, really chef named Shane, but that name was already taken. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, who invited this guy? Come on. I don't know. So, <laughs> I, I, I'm he was, he was in the hot tub last week, spot. I think. Yeah, he's yeah. not in the hot tub yeah. tonight. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to put Sean, you on the spot here. Like uh, one of my former colleagues did this, Shane. But if you're doing spirals, and especially after you've done an SIV, why do you not have a reserve? Are you talking to me? Yeah. Yeah. I do have a reserve. I have I have oh, a I have a steerable reserve. But when I'm just doing foot drags, I'm not going to carry a reserve on a foot drag. So you take your you take your reserve off every time. It's it's a it's a front mount. Um, so oh, okay. I strap it in, and it's my um, it's my flight deck. So pretty much gotcha. it's just yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Are, that makes is sense. the bridle is the bridle hook straight into your carabiners? Um, it, it, it clips into the carabiners, and it just and then you clip you clip that onto your um, uh, to the side, which holds it up. Then you clip the the uh, actual reserve into the carabiners itself, or you can put them up here on the strap. Um, but I don't know how that would feel with it going you know, up like that. That would so have to be permanent. No. Any reason why no. I don't have a side mount instead that permanently stays on? You you know um, I was thinking Just about uh, a side mount where it's always on, but I like a flight deck where I can put all of my stuff down there. I can put an iPad, you know, my iPhone, uh, you know, um, an abacus, you know, whatever I want to right there is pretty awesome. <laughs> Just saying that. That's the same. <laughs> you never know when you need to, you know, calculate how high that that uh, that cloud base is. It's also nice if you uh if you want to switch between harnesses, you know, I go from free flight to uh motor wing, so I got a front mount harness or reserve. I can change it out. I can fly somebody else's motor, still have my reserve. Does anybody fly with two reserves? Yes. You do, JP, really. Of course I do. Tell, tell, tell us about your um, reserve and how, how do you have two of them and where do you put them? Um, I have, well, first off, I fly a uh, Maverick, which has a side mount reserve that's, you know, uh, zips into the harness. So it's relatively permanent. I mean, you could take it out, but it takes a little work. Um, and then because I wanted to have, like Sean says, a flight deck someplace to put my phone and, uh, whatever um i got a front mount as well they're both uh advanced uh, round squares um the big ones 60s it's like the biggest size before you go to a tandem um i guess i mean i don't always fly with the with both of them the uh the front one i kind of got out of necessity because uh after my first reserve throw um it was going to be quicker to get another reserve um so that I could fly more than to send out the other one to get repacked. I was sending the other one to get repacked either way, but uh, there was a big flying coming up, so I wanted to have a reserve for that because I was kind of shooken up from my reserve throw. Um, and now when I'm doing, you know, going up high and, and playing, doing wing overs or whatever, um, I take both of them with me just because better to have it not need it than need it not have it. So I have a question for both yep. of you because I do not have a um... – a flight deck reserve. I've got the same one on the side of my pair. I keep switching back and forth. My pair of Maverick. Um, I'm, I want to have, so 
uh, as I said last week, I'm going to be getting a different unit here in the next couple of months uh, as soon as it comes in. And I'll have, I, I want to get two reserves on my foot launching unit. Uh, I've thought about just having one on the right and one on the left, but I haven't thought about having a flight deck, so I want to hear about that. I'm also going to get another one for when I have my tandem strike as well. It's going to be a much larger one. But what are the what are the, the negative sides to having the flight deck one? Is it getting in the way? Is it pain in the ass to put it on and off when you're you're uh, clipping in and everything? Is it Sean? Is it difficult to do things like foot drags when this thing is in front of you? So what are the negatives to it? Um, not really negatives. Um, it's it's really easy because remember I, I I fly an angel because of the angel. I drag my motor to where I'm going to put it, and I, it sits on the ground. And then I crank the wing, and then I clip the wing into the motor that's still sitting on the ground. And then I come around, and then I sit down in this nice, comfortable chair that I have. And then I have this, this uh, flight deck that I clip in right there as I'm sitting down, so I'm not even carrying it. It's no big deal. I, I start the motor up and warm it up. Well, I'm sitting down comfortably, kicking back with a stogie and, and a beer. It's great, you know, and then. <laughs> so, you, so you drink alcohol while you're flying? It's not alcoholic beer. Come on. Oh, okay. Come on now. And all duels. Cheers. And then once it's warmed up, then and only then do I lean forward, stand up, um, and I'm still leaning forward, and I grab the A's if I'm doing a forward launch. Throw it back, go forward, punch it, making sure that my wingtips are good, and I'm in the air in 10 seconds. So I'm not carrying a lot of weight for more than 10 seconds. I have. I don't think I would ever, ever want to have a motor where I have to have it on my back, walk it from a stand, go over and bend down and try to clip in. I don't want to do that. That sounds horrible. So um, you're saying... So for the last two minutes, you're saying there's really no restrictions on having a flight deck. There's no way. There's restrictions, it doesn't get in the way. My understanding of a reserve side mount, if you're into a, let's say it's hooked, if, if you got like mine's on the left, if you're into a left spiral, I guess it's harder to throw the reserve because it's on the inside. If it was on the outside on the right, then it's easier to throw because of momentum, if you will, is my understanding. I have mine. It's a, it's on the side side mount. Um, so I I mean, I don't think that matters in regards to reserve or in, in regards to a spiral. I mean, yeah, it I for a number what, of reasons. I understand what you're saying, Shane. I understand too, but that's I mean, you may not be in a in a spiral when you're going to have to throw a reserve. Right. To me, I have mine on the right hand because my throttle is on my left. Right, and that's why I have mine on the left, because it's right-handed right throttle. That's what was explained to me. I don't necessarily know right or wrong with that. Um, that's what I was explained. Um, if you were to be in – so just do right spirals. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have been told that uh, – We learned in class. That... Go ahead, bro. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> The one thing I have been told about a front mount reserve, if you're clipping straight into your carabiners on a motor, um, it's an awfully weird hang point. So if you're normally you run your bridle up around your harness to up here, whenever you're, you know, have a side mount reserve. 
if you're clipped in here, your bridles aren't but a foot long. So you are going to be kind of hanging back if you ever do throw yours in reserve. You're probably going to turtle when you land. That's the no. one thing I've been told. Let me go grab mine real quick. My bridle's like six meters long. I Yeah, and most people, they want to clip in up here at their shoulders. But where we are, we're clipping in, you know, at our carabiners. When you're clipping in at your carabiners, it is going to kind of porpoise you a little bit, and you're going to you're going to come well, down. And there's, you know, there's different bridles for different reserves, too. If you exactly. get... And I've seen some Kyle O videos where he's actually doing a front mount reserve. And he just runs his bridles exposed and clips them in with click, quick links, you know, here, or he'll uh -huh. velcro them down. But, you know, if you're taking it off and switching it, I figured, you know, I'd rather land and turtle than to not have it at all and be able to switch it between harnesses. When I fly with my reserve, it's a front on the Nirvana. And I actually <laughs> like it the same way that he's talking about with having that uh, – cockpit kind of where you can lay things down on the on the velcro just like that yeah it was a corn dog holder for me on saturday and this this was my you know my my uh my sonic tray which is really cool but um this right here um will clip in both sides will clip in to the same carabiner that my wing is clipped into which means that when this thing inflates and it's steerable um I am, there's, there's really no difference. I mean, this thing's a 42, I think it is, um, which I don't know what that means, but it's a pretty big one, which means that it, it's big enough, it's steerable, uh, it's at the same carabiner, so if something happens, I don't even know what would happen to my wing, which would cause me to actually throw this reserve. But How do you deploy it? You deploy it um, right here. Let's so see. So you can, throw it. <laughs> <laughs> you can use your right or your left hand. That's one of the, the pluses okay. to having uh, a front mount versus yeah. a side mount. If for one whatever reason one of your hands becomes incapacitated and you can't reach to the side that you know a side mount is, um, having the, it mounted in the middle is a plus in that fashion. JP, which is your first hand that you're gonna pull? You're gonna pull the side one, or you're gonna pull the the chest mount? Um, I would probably pull the side one, but that's mostly because it's already been pulled once and I don't want to mess up my new one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't want to mess up my reserve. I don't he's going to pull the one. He's going to pull the one that's the least current and needs to really be repacked anyways. <laughs> yes. The one that needs to be, have the repack is the one I'm going to pull. All right. Um, so it doesn't matter is what you're saying. Uh, well, okay. I would say this For too. Safety. Um, as far as safety is concerned, probably the side mount well they both have their ups and downs are the, they both the, are they steerable mine are just whatever just random regular uh non-steerables because that's what i don't know that's what i went with at the time we live we live in a place with too many trees for non-steerables we'll end up in a yeah. tree for sure yeah well the thing about uh drawbacks you were asking david about the front mount is at least with the mobile like front mount that you can take from uh, motor to motor is it's mounting in the same hang points that your glider is mounting to. So if for some yeah, reason, I like that. what's that? I like that. Well, yeah, but if you were to have like a carabiner failure, then you don't have a, a redundant. There's no redundancy there, which is the nice thing about a side mount. It's going to mount to the 
the soft links on your harness so that if mm -hmm. your carabiner failed or your swing arm failed or something like that, you're not relying on it still for your your reserve, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, but with that being said, I really like my front mount because like when I went to Palm Bay and I had some issues with my motor, you can't take your side mount to another motor, but I can take this right here and I can go fly. Uh, Matt Mindyard let me fly one of his units and I took my, my front mount with me and I was covered. I was covered to fly cool. in the unit there because it takes two seconds to just snap right in right here and to have, you know, instant safety. Let, let me, let me yep. see yours real quick. And same one? Uh, Almost yeah, the same thing, no way. And how do you know which side is the left and right with the yeah. blue and red and the red and green? I mean, think about it. If it's like mine is steerable. There, there should be a difference, right? Because you want the front to be front. Yeah. Now, yours is round, right? Correct. So, how do you know which? Wouldn't really matter much. I would read your manual. <laughs> well, my, that, that's one of the reasons <laughs> my instructor packed it, and you know, I. I, I, I would pull up the manual. What is that, Beamer Three? Pull up the manual online and, and look it up. That's one of the other reasons why I went with a non-steerable, just because for simplicity. That's another thing to go wrong. Um, wherever your things are, you know, you got to grab them and stuff, and it's. What's, what's the difference? You just fly it backwards then. If you're going, backwards. You yeah. go. Just fly it backwards. You'll be fine. Or that would be interesting. I mean, it would be another adventure. But, you know, cool. you're a great video. You know why JP <laughs> knows which way to, to hook that? Because Napa knows how. You know. I stole that from Tony on the chat, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> what it is, it's um, green is always to the right, right? Right, right to the left when you're, you know, like um, airplanes and your lights. So maybe that's it. Maybe that's how we know. I matched it to my the colors on my glider, and red was on the left on my glider, and blue was and, on the right. And you read your manual. I read the manual. This was not covered in the manual. This this is very famous, by the way. The colors on these things because they're not consistent between brands. Like Gin will have them colored one way, and then uh, Ozone will have them another way, and then Dudek will have something so, else. So we've it's always we've, read something. So we've uh, we've said that not everybody flies all the time with their reserves. What about flotation? Nope. Mm. Oh. Let me show you what I got. Only I haven't put my water. flotation on yet. I will get my. I will get flotation once I get my new. My new rig. What's flotation? <laughs> we don't need it in Ohio. Flash jacket. Oh, I could use it this weekend. I'll be wearing it this weekend. JP, you coming up this weekend? This is what this weekend. Michigan. Michigan. Is there a fly yeah. that I don't know about? Apparently there Michigan. is. Everybody has to invite me. They said they the Walter RC. I'll send you an invite right now. They, yeah, JP, They said they send it all out to the people they liked. You didn't get one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, I'm gonna have to run home. All oh, right. You're still at work. Don't run too fast. I'm still at work. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. And, Dude, it was uh, so great having you. If yeah. you guys are ever out in Arizona, 
look me up yeah. and send me a message and I'll take you flying around Sedona and some really cool craters and uh, yeah, just right. anytime. That extends to the viewers too. You guys heard it. He's offering his couch right, up man. for anyone that sees the video. <laughs> Give him a call. You can sleep on, on Grady's couch. Oh, nice. oh. You can come stay at my house. It's all good. There you go. Yes. Linda, you didn't hear him say he had a wedding ring. I think we're all subbed up to your channel, man, so we'll be keeping an eye. All right. Be, be looking for the next video. It probably will be the uh, the next one over Page, Arizona with uh, Horseshoe Ben. I think we're going to be flying up to a place called Marble Canyon <laughs> and going under Navajo Bridge. So I'm hoping to get some really good video, and, and hopefully the weather will work with us on this Saturday. Awesome. I'm going to post a link to your page again in the chat. So, Thanks again. Just right. put in, JP, I just put in the Zoom chat the link to that uh, fly in this awesome. weekend. Thank you, sir. It's From called the Walter RC Fly My PPG Fly In. All right. See you later, man. Thank see you. Bro. Bye. Yeah. Well, since you asked, this is my flotation. I saw Leah Couture. She put a one on like this uh, when she went um, and did the SIV course. I'm like, that's really cool. Um, it's really light and um, it has a little canister thing. Oh, so. we're keeping you awake. Sorry. Keeping you awake? Yeah, I got a bug out in a second. I had a long day today. Actually, I do have a question for everybody, don't I, Shane? Here <laughs> 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 <There> you go. <laughs> I ain't said nothing. Go ahead. If I want you to define for me an emergency landing. <laughs> emergency landing is when you're not expecting to land and your wing or your motor makes you land. And depending on what you do. I know, I know exactly what that's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Tommy, this is an emergency landing. Go ahead and tell what, you, what happened and why it was an emergency landing. So I've been wanting to fly this area for quite a while. I don't know if any of you guys fly with a speed bar. I've got a mountain wing, so I don't have tremors. Um, wind was supposed to be pretty light. I didn't. I said, you know what? I'm not going to hook up speed bar. First mistake. Uh, go out. I start getting pushed back over a river, which is the Arkansas River. is pretty wide. Uh, I'd have to turn around and book it awfully far for somebody to come get me. So the entire time we go out, of this park and there's a ridge to the left of us we have a wind coming over the ridge and a little bit of rotor coming over it because of it we a get up high enough well yeah it was it turned into a lot of rotor we get up high enough to where we're out of the rotor and we take off you know i don't know four or five miles past the ridge the whole time he's playing around doing what he wants i have no tremors and i'm trying to speed bar into the wind or if i have no speed bar i'm just trying to go into the wind I finally get back to that ridge and I can't penetrate whatsoever. So I thought maybe if I drop below the ridge, the wind will be less and, and I'll be all right. Drop below the ridge and it is wonky air. I am basically on the lee side of a mountain and uh, big mistake is I'm trying to, at this point, turn around, get out over the river, get higher and try to penetrate to get back. I take a, uh, a good 50% collapse about uh, 600 feet over the ground. Uh, it pops back open right at, you know, about treetop level. Uh, I landed just fine. Somehow I turned the motor off in the process. That's, that's an emergency landing. 
Okay, good. <laughs> so, and, and I'm going to give you two examples. I'm not going to say anybody's names, and if you know who the pilots were, don't say any. Um, but I will say this, that I did look up the definition of an emergency landing today, and it basically says, to make a long story short, is that you have to, it's imminent danger to either a pilot, a passenger, or the aircraft causing uh, an emergency landing of to land quickly and get on the ground, okay? So here's the first example. Is this or is this not an emergency landing? Pilot's flying about 1,600 feet AGL, motor out. Pilot glides back over a mile back to the LZ. Uh, yes. Unsure he's going to make it. And uh, there's plenty of, of LZs below him to, to land. Is that an emergency landing? Yes. Uh, what does I everybody else say? Dead, I consider that a dead stick landing. Are dead stick landings in planes? Are they, are they emergency landings? I mean, no. I don't, I don't think so either. Emergency. I mean, here's the, here, there's like no, um, there's no emergency. There's no danger. The emergency is you're coming down whether you have a place to land or not. Like your motor. you got a parachute. Your, your, motor's your motor's out, but you're gliding down. So I just so said every skydiver, every skydive is an emergency. There's no dude. imminent, right? Yeah, you exactly. Can, you can. There's no <laughs> imminent danger. There's plenty of LZs. We're taught to look for an LZ in case we have a motor out. That is not an emergency landing. There's no, no imminent danger. Okay, well, okay. Unless, unless you land in a tree, then it's an emergency. <laughs> Well, then you're not That's actually landing. I would say it's an emergency because you have a fixed amount of time. Well, you have a fixed amount of time with you uh, have a, f a gas tank full of gas. It's going to run out eventually. Right. And that right. Well, <laughs> but Tommy oh, no. makes a great point. Tommy Tom makes a Tom great point. In that case, yes, every skydive is an emergency landing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. We're, so, taught how to, we're taught to be prepared for that procedure if we have a motor right. Here's another example. Pilot is, is flying semantics. along. What's that? It's, it's just semantics. It, how much do you want to read into the word? You know, it, everybody has okay. their different so here's another one. Go ahead. Yeah, here's another one. Uh, comes back around to make an approach. Uh, DLZ, the power lines and uh, pilot accidentally hits the kill switch to avoid power line and lands into the corn below him. Are you talking about Sean? Is that an emergency landing? You're talking about Sean. We're not going to talk about who it was. <laughs> he has not a say who it was. What's that? Does he? Oh yeah. Would you consider this a emergency landing? Yes, because. Um, if was he, he in imminent danger? He had an LZ below him. Well, the imminent danger was, you know, the power lines right in front of him, and but he had that was the danger. But danger, if he turned and, to the right, he wasn't in danger. He was into a cornfield. Which a cornfield you can get yourself hurt in a cornfield. So I mean, it wasn't like you know, it's like oh, you know, there's there's a. Uh, power lines, I'm going to turn and gently, you know, land, um, you know, turned, landed, you know, dumped, you know, got hurt. Well, not really hurt, but hurt. I think that was, okay. I think that was emergency landing because he got hurt okay. and he had this much time to get down there. Okay. Here's, uh, so, so this, past, so I, this, go ahead. 
Well, I think I'm going to do what you're about to do, but I was going to say uh, Kevin Kefly was on the chat, and he's our expert, so I was going to say what his feedback was. Is anytime you don't have to, you don't have a choice about coming back to the ground and it's an emergency landing, whether yeah. it's a motor out or a mechanical failure, um, if you're forced to land, it's an emergency landing, is his feedback. Well, this, this past weekend, I ran out of fuel, but I knew I was getting low on fuel, so I climbed to 2,000 feet. I ran out of fuel at 2,000 feet. I had 12 minutes, I think it was, before I had to worry about landing. Is that a considered a emergency landing? I mean, that's a non-event. I think it's an emergency if the if the situation's dire. You know, if you have a motor out and there's a storm behind you, you're trying to get away from, or or something that's going to make it an emergency. But that's pretty much a non-event. I, I, I think um, I think that if you have like two seconds to avoid power lines and you end up um, dumping in a, um, a, a, a field of corn, which is not grass, and you end up landing on your knees slash wrists, just barely missing power lines, I think that's emergency landing. Now, if, okay. if, if he was back far enough and he, his kill switch happened, well, then he had a couple of things, you know, um, st try to restart it or, you know, try to come in for a better landing and try to get on a, you know, try to do more of a butterfly tiptoe, you know, type of thing. Okay. What, what do you agree with that? This oh. is why, this is why, guys, that it goes back to any plant, any landing that you did not intend to land. Like, that's why I'm, I'm, I've heard it discussed before. It's a, a landing that you don't intend, that you're not planning on is like the definition of an emergency. I, I guess we so can't think skydiving because skydiving is, I'm gonna fall until I let the shoot off and then I'm gonna land, okay. whatever. We're talking about powered paragliding, which is different than paragliding. So I guess if you run out of gas, that could be emergency. But so Jake, do you think every, every motor out is an emergency landing? Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna call that word, it's um, usually a minor, that's a, that's minor a scary word to use. Yeah, yeah. When we say emergency, are we talking about like it's emergency and I have to pull the reserve or emergency I'm going to come down and float down and I landed in some ground? I would say that that you're coming down whether you like it or not is is the definition because you don't have any lift anymore. Like if you're on a paraglider, you would still have the wind and thermals or whatever. But as a as paramotors, we don't have that. So if your engine's out, you have you've lost your source of of lift, and at that point, I guess, it's, I guess also I'm I'm sorry to interrupt. I guess it also means too. It's like, are you going to jump on YouTube and say that I had emergency landing when you you know like like Shane said you know I ran out of gas and then I floated for 12 minutes and I landed at the LZ. You know, um, I mean, for some people, that would be an emergency. You know, it depends on the person. If they've well, never had a motor in life, I think I think we're looking at the definition, though. The definition is completely different. I mean, I, the definitions for so different for somebody that's a student to somebody that's been doing it for years. It's not an emergency for somebody that's got hundreds and hundreds of hours. You know, but for I guess you could consider it an emergency because if I was a student on my first flight and I had a motor out, I mean, no matter where I am Big or deal. how I am, that's an emergency. Well, during class, I had a, I ran out of fuel. I actually, uh, teacher came on and said, hey, I think you may be out of fuel here soon, so don't go too far. 
and about 30 seconds after that, <laughs> my motor died. <laughs> How many times did you run out of fuel now? This is my second time. But Just twice, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I gotta say, I, re I respect all of your answers. And I respect the your your um, your backing of them. So I'm good with every answer. What What do you think? What, what and do you think wrong. emergency is? What do you think emergency is? Since well, the first example that I gave was my own flight when I had a motor out at 1,600 feet, and I put on my YouTube. Uh, I put on it called "Emergency Out at 1,600 Feet." And I got help for that, saying this was an emergency, this was a motor route, and you got back safely. There was no emergency. So uh, I was like, well, man, I, I got bashed for that. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, I respect uh, JP's uh, definition, and and uh, I can get that. And I guess it depends on the person, what they felt. So. But I so, appreciate the way that you're, you're, you're all presenting your opinions in this case. I, I, I like that we talked about this because I never thought about that definition until we just talked about it just now. And you are absolutely correct. Um, it depends on the person. When you were up, the, up in the air and you were at 1,600 feet and you uh, and had a motor out, that was an emergency. I mean, you're brand new. I got emergency. I know that I, I think I can make it, but I'm coming down. So, yeah, that, that could be an emergency to someone brand new. Uh, someone's been flying and doing skydiving and, 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 and does trick stuff. He has a motor out. And it's like, oh, I'm just going to come over here and land on a treetop because there's more skill involved. Um, I, I think Since that if I've you... Been... Go ahead. I'm sorry, Sean. Oh, oh um, I think an emergency landing, to, to if, for me and I, maybe the PPG community, an emergency landing is when you... Linda, what are you doing? When you land unexpectedly and you get hurt. Okay. What, so what you... since I've been back, since I, I was going to say, since I've been back from my SIV, I've had four mortar routes. And that's because I've gone into nose down spirals and I've cheated out my motor. But as I was, yeah. That's and, cool. But as I was, but I would start up the motor as I was flying each time. Like I didn't realize I still needed to give it a little bit of power. The first two times oh. I did that and the second two times I just, forgot because I was spinning <laughs> so fast. I forgot to give myself a little power to just keep it so, flowing. <laughs> so Dave, Kevin, Kevin can fly just said, and more or less in his comment right there was some, some people consider, or some are small like motor outs. Some are big like reverse tosses. It's a variety or it's a, uh, it's a, a scale, you know, I guess it does depend on the pilot. I didn't think my uh, running out of gas at 2000 feet was an emergency landing. I, Thought it was well. I knew waiting forty-five minutes, flying in a circle for everybody to take off, was foolish of me to continue on when they all said, "Hey, we're going cross country," and I had an hour and thirty minutes worth of fuel in my tank when I started. I think location has a big part of it too. I mean, if you're in a desert, or God forbid, you're flying over the ocean and you've got flotation, well, there's still sharks. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> location's a big deal. Yeah, I think it also turns into an emergency whenever you overshoot your landing and there's a big there's there's only one little spot to land. You know, if you, it turns into an emergency whenever you overshoot your landing and there's miles of trees in front of you and you're a hundred foot above the ground and you can't you know you're gonna hook a U-turn into the ground or you're gonna land in a tree. Oh, JP, uh -oh, don't we're pull pulling up, we're pulling up definitions. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, Tommy, your, your audio is way better, by the way, man. I don't know what's different. I switched my headphones. That's what it was. My headphones were messing okay. up. So if you want to get real technical with it, there's different types of emergencies landings. There's a forced landing, which is, I think, what we're talking about with running out of gas oh, due to man, technical problems. <laughs> there's a precautionary landing where you're just, you know, I want to be safe, but there's ditching where you're coming down no matter what, and uh, you put the aircraft in the, the water. There's different types of emergency landing. So it's how it's like what I said about semantics. It's wait, wait, what, go down a little bit. There's something about scroll down a tiny bit said. there, JP. Because I saw okay, hold on, keep going right there, stop. Uh what does it say? Glider, glider pilots. Uh, that's nothing important. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. All right. So it's an interpretation. Let's let's go with that. It's an interpretation that is exactly correct. So, kind of like how do you interpret, uh, you know, a congested area under FAR 103? You know, is that two areas. people standing in one spot, areas. you know? It's, it's no such somewhat, thing. somewhat subjective, you know. There's no hey, such thing as congested area. <laughs> hey, Dave. So the FAA won't look at it like that. <laughs> hey, Dave, let me ask you something. Do you remember the topic of when does – a new pilot have the right to show concern or say concern to another uh, yeah, pilot. Yeah. That, yeah. I think that goes back to our conversation earlier today. You know, like if, if you're a new pilot and you see somebody doing something not supposed to, or is, is dangerous, you know, that person's probably gonna jump down your throat just because, well, you're the messenger. You know what I mean? I think that's, that's I've never been in a group of people where somebody said, I'm not going to fly because I don't like the way the wind is, and anybody jumps anybody's throat. No, I think the other day, Sean, you were sitting there, we were talking about that storm passing, and I said, hey, should we warn those guys? He said, I'm not mommying anybody. They, they're competent pilots. If they decide not to fly, they won't fly. They're, well, they were 100 miles away. Yeah. And we're looking a, at radar. We didn't know what their, what, what, what their micro was. That's why I'm going to speak for I'm going to speak for Shane and myself while everybody else is talking about it as the wind okay. Shane and I are usually the ones that are launching at that moment. Yeah. Is that right, Shane? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll let y'all know. Just sit down there. Yeah. Window. We're both, we're both first off the ground. Yep. Every time. That's like that's what happened to me this, this last uh, weekend. Um, flying with four other pilots. Uh, one, two, three other pilots. And uh, they all were sitting there talking. I laid my wing out and took off. And they got on the radio and said, hey, we'll be up in a second. Well, 30 minutes later, the first guy, or the next guy took off. Another 10 minutes after him, the next guy went off. And then another 40 minutes later, the last guy, after three failed launches, finally got off the ground. And then they're all like, hey, let's go do a, a cross country to, to 192 from the compound. I'm like, all right. Well, I knew I wasn't, I knew I wasn't going to make it all the way there. So I had planned a point of return. And when I looked at my fuel tank at the point of return, I had a point of no gas already. So I was like, oh, crap. Do any of you guys run speed bar on your, on your, on your wings? I do. Once in a while. You do? Does it help you punch through turbulence or is it, is it more collapse resistant while pushing bar? Or? If, if I'm in turbulence, I'm not pushing speed bar. Okay. Yeah, I'm not touching the speed bar if I'm in turbulence. Hey, you know, uh, earlier tonight you guys were talking before I got on about um, 
target fixation, and if you steer at something, you're going to hit it? Yes. I'm going to go steer at my wife. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm going to get off here too, guys. Oh Mic drop. Mic drop. Right, see you guys Wednesday night. See you guys Wednesday night. See you Wednesday night. Oh, dang. I'm out too, guys. Thank you guys for having me on. All right, hey, later. thanks, man. Later, guys. Yeah. Pizza, man. I think I, I, I better uh, here. It's almost nine o'clock, so that's our after show. It's been really awesome. I appreciate everyone on here, and we brought up a lot of really interesting topics that we probably need to talk about throughout the week, like you know, emergency landings, uh, uh, target fixation, and things like that. And you know, really mull over these because this is really interesting stuff, and maybe we can come up with something that's a little bit more, you know. Um, cement and more concrete when we get to uh, next week's thing so we can kind of lay out what is an emergency landing you know what is target fixation and what is this that everybody's talking about so we, we, we definitely have some really interesting stuff uh, Brian thank you so much for coming on appreciate you Shane man you always uh, have have the interesting um, that's, that's what she says and Linda <laughs> she, Linda she's so tolerant of all of us guys we appreciate you JP thank you for um, being able to screen share everything um, you guys can no stay problem. on all night long if you want to but I think old grandpa here needs to go nighty night and I appreciate y'all no problem man it is, it is 10 o'clock it's 10 o'clock here myself so hey real real quick just before uh, you shut it down I don't know if you saw my messages Sean for uh, a little while during the stream, I don't know if it was a setting or what, but it got stuck on Kevin when everyone else was talking. Yeah. So yeah. the stream share was just showing Kevin like shift back and forth for like 10 minutes oh, I instead did. of, uh, so I don't know if just, you know, something to be aware of. Um, I, I keep a separate screen up so I can see what the viewers are seeing on top of, I can see our Zoom screen, but that was something I noticed. So. You guys are all managers. Oh, yeah. We go at managers and and uh, admins. You guys should be able to do everything I can do. Well, same here. I noticed it as well. I watch a separate phone just so I can see the chat. I can right. stream to YouTube. And uh, yeah, I noticed the same thing with Kevin. It looked like for a while maybe he he noticed it and he was trying to correct it, looking at settings, but. Um, yeah, like I said, it, it stayed on for like 10 minutes. If you're, if you see something like that, just say, Hey, real quick. Um, we got a weird setting going. We'll, we'll fix it. It's no big deal. I see something, say something. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're, you guys just, you just like mute me when, you know, oh, there's, oh, oh. We'll just kick uh, you off. For the next week. <laughs> I'm like, I'm muted again. I don't even know what I did. No, I get it. My internet's been all crazy. We got some crazy storms coming in tonight. Mine soon starting to hit. So I think that's why my internet kept going in and out. So I, I hope, like, Sean, you're going to, like, um, edit a lot of this because my screen kept freezing, and I don't know if everybody else could see that. So. Mm, I probably won't edit anything. This is live stream, and <laughs> once we... <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hey. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, I... Twice I had to like go out of the screen. I'm like, great, I'm supposed to be in the show, and yeah, and it was going back and forth. And yeah. if he didn't edit me going to the bathroom, my, my episode, <laughs> he, he's not going to edit anything out. <laughs> yeah, true. No, we have. I mute my mic now. <laughs> no, this that's is good. probably best. I'll watch it tomorrow. I'll let you know. Yeah. All right, guys, I'm I'm out of here. Okay. I gotta I got bedtime. I'm out of here See too. You, uh, I guess yeah. Wednesday.
And Thursday. Yes. Friday. Yeah. I don't know about tomorrow night because I never know. I may be eight or five. So. All right, guys. Have a great okay. night. Yep. Night, guys. Night, guys. Night, guys. Bye, safe. Sure.